When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Law School of America Negligence Amongst unintentional torts one finds negligence as being the most common source of common law. Most Americans are under the impression that most people can sue for any type of negligence, but it is untrue in most U.S. jurisdictions, partly because negligence is one of the few torts for which ordinary people can and do obtain liability insurance, it is a form of extra-contractual liability that is based upon a failure to comply with the duty of care of a reasonable person, which failure is the actual cause and proximate cause of damages. That is, but for the tortfeasor's act or omission, the damages to the plaintiff would not have been incurred, and the damages were a reasonably foreseeable consequence of the tortious conduct. Some jurisdictions recognize one or more designations less than actual intentional wrongdoing, but more egregious than mere negligence, such as wanton, reckless or despicable conduct. A finding in those states that a defendant's conduct was wanton, reckless or despicable, rather than merely negligent, can be significant because certain defenses, such as contributory negligence, are often unavailable when such conduct is the cause of the damages. Breach. Breach is ordinarily established by showing that the defendant failed to exercise reasonable care. Some courts use the terms ordinary care or prudent care instead. Conduct is typically considered to be unreasonable when the disadvantages outweigh the advantages. Judge Learned Hand famously reduced this to algebraic form in United States v. Carroll Towing Company. This means that if the burden of exercising more care is less than the probability of damage or harm multiplied by the severity of the expected loss, and a person fails to undertake the burden, he is not exercising reasonable care and is thus breaching his duty to do so, assuming he has one. In other words, the burden of prevention is less than the probability that the injury will occur multiplied by the gravity of the harm injury. Under this formula, duty changes as circumstances change, if the cost of prevention increases, then the duty to prevent decreases. If the likelihood of damage or the severity of the potential damage increases, then duty to prevent increases. There are other ways of establishing breach, as well. Violation of statute. This is also known as negligence per se. Breach can be shown in most jurisdictions if a defendant violates a statute that pertains to safety and the purpose of which is to prevent the result of the case. Note that this is an alternative way to show breach. A violation of statute will not have occurred in every case. Therefore, just because it cannot be shown does not mean that there has been no breach. Even if it is attempted to be shown but fails, there may be other bases of breach. Excuse. Occasionally, there is a valid excuse for violating a safety statute, namely when it is safer or arguably safer to violate than to comply with it. This happened in Ted v. Elman. A statute required pedestrians using roadways to walk against traffic. At the time in question, there was heavy traffic going the opposite direction as the plaintiff. Therefore, the plaintiff would have had to walk past many more vehicles, arguably increasing his chances of being hit. So, the plaintiff walked with traffic on the other side of the road, thus violating the statute. There were far fewer vehicles traveling that direction, but the plaintiff was hit anyway. Even though the purpose of the statute was to prevent precisely the result that occurred, the plaintiff nonetheless prevailed because of a valid excuse for violating the statute, namely that it was probably safer not to comply. Violation of Custom Breach can be shown in most jurisdictions if a defendant violates a custom that is widespread and itself reasonable. For example, where 10% of a certain industry does a certain thing, 
it probably will not be considered a custom for purposes of breach and negligence. Alternatively, if 90% of a certain industry does a certain thing, but the thing is inherently unsafe, and it is upholding the custom as a cost-saving measure, violation of that custom, doing something safer, will not constitute breach. As with violation of statute, this is an alternative way to show breach. Therefore, just because it cannot be shown, or is attempted to be shown but fails, does not mean that there has been no breach. There may be other ways of showing breach. Tremarco v. Klein, 1982, decided that customary conduct is not conclusive, although it is good evidence, of what will be reasonable. Resipsa loquitur. This is a Latin phrase that means the thing speaks for itself. It is a rare alternative basis of breach. Ordinarily, it only applies when the plaintiff has little or limited access to the evidence of negligent conduct. Res ipsa loquitur requires that the defendant have exclusive control over the thing that causes the injury and that the act be one that would not ordinarily occur without negligence. Causation. Causation is typically a bigger issue in negligence cases than intentional torts. However, as mentioned previously, it is an element of any tort. The defendant's act must be an actual cause and approximate cause of the result in a particular cause of action. Actual cause. Actual cause has historically been determined by the but-for test. If the result would not have occurred but for the defendant's act, the act is an actual cause of the result. Several other tests have been created to supplement this general rule, however, especially to deal with cases in which the plaintiff suffers great harm, yet because multiple acts by multiple defendants, the but-for test is unhelpful. This situation occurred in the famous case of Summers v. Tice. For example, Dan and Dave both negligently fire their shotguns at Paula. Paula is struck by only one pellet and it is impossible to determine which gun it was fired from. Using the but for test alone, Dan and Dave can both escape liability. Dan can say that but for his own negligence, Paula still might have suffered the same harm. Dave can make the same argument. As a matter of public policy, most courts will nonetheless hold Dan and Dave jointly and severally liable. The act of each defendant is therefore said to be an actual cause, even if this is a fiction. A similar situation arises when it is impossible to show that the defendants was slash were negligent at all. This almost inevitably arises in cases also involving res ipsa loquitur. See Barra v. Spangard. For example, making the facts of that case more extreme, Paula goes to the hospital for an appendectomy. She wakes up and finds her left arm has also been amputated for no apparent reason. Note that this would implicate multiple issues and other causes of action than negligence, for purposes of actual cause, unless there is evidence or an admission of negligent conduct, Paula will be unable to show an actual cause. In this situation too, most courts will hold all the defendants that Paula names, possibly everyone on the medical staff that was in the room during her surgery, jointly and severally liable. The act of each defendant is likewise said to be an actual cause, even if this is a fiction. Substantial factor test. Another test deals with cases in which there are two actual causes but only one is negligent. For example, there are three equidistant points, A, B, and C. Paula's house is at point A. Dave negligently ignites a fire at point B. Lightning simultaneously strikes point C, starting a second fire. The fire at point B and the fire at point C both burn towards point A. Paula's house burns down. Unlike Summers v. Tice, there is only one defendant in this situation. Most courts will still hold Dave's negligence to be an actual cause, as his conduct was a substantial factor in causing Paula's damage. This is sometimes called the substantial factor test. Proximate cause. There are many tests for determining whether an actual cause is a proximate one. Most involve some form of foreseeability. Justice Cardozo has two factors to determine if there was a proximate cause between the plaintiff's injury and the defendant's breach of duty. 
Is the plaintiff's injury a reasonably foreseeable consequence of the defendant's breach of duty? Is the plaintiff a reasonably foreseeable victim of the defendant's breach of duty? Justice Andrews has several factors to determine if there was a proximate cause between the plaintiff's injury and the defendant's breach of duty. Was there a natural and continuous sequence between the plaintiff's injury and the defendant's breach of duty? Was the injury caused directly or indirectly? Based on human experience, would people expect the result to happen? Was the result too remote in time and or place in light of the circumstances? Were there intervening causes? Were the intervening causes ones people would expect or were they so unusual, for example, superseding causes, as to break the chain of causation? Damages. Punitive damages. Punitive damages, sums intended to punish the defendant, may be awarded in addition to actual damages intended to compensate the plaintiff. Punitive damage awards generally require a higher showing than mere negligence, but lower than intention. For instance, grossly negligent, reckless, or outrageous conduct may be grounds for an award of punitive damages. These punitive damages awards can be quite substantial in some cases. Strict liability. Strict liability torts are brought for injuries resulting from ultra-hazardous activities, for which the defendant will be held liable even if there was no negligence on his slash her part. Strict liability also applies to some types of product liability claims and to copyright infringement and some trademark cases. Some statutory torts are also strict liability, including many environmental torts. The term strict liability refers to the fact that the tortfeasor's liability is not premised on their culpable state of mind, whether they knew or intended to accomplish the wrongful act, or violated a standard of care by doing so, but, instead, strictly on the conduct itself or its result. Product liability. Product liability refers to the liability of manufacturers, wholesalers, and retailers for unreasonably dangerous products. Federal torts. Although federal courts often hear tort cases arising out of common law or state statutes, there are relatively few tort claims that arise exclusively as a result of federal law. The most common federal tort claim is the 42 U.S.C. Section 1983 remedy for violation of one's civil rights under color of federal or state law, which can be used to sue for anything from a free speech claim to use of excessive force by the police. Tort claims arising out of injuries occurring on vessels on navigable waters of the United States fall under federal admiralty jurisdiction. The Law School of America The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America